0: Conversation with a geographer. I'm Mike DeVivo, professor of geography at Grand Rapids Community College, and today we're very privileged to have uh, Professor Emeritus at the University of Texas, William Doolittle, joining us. Bill, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. This is uh, this is an honor and uh, distinct pleasure. Well, thank you so much, Bill. As as we discussed with.
0: Everyone that's interviewed, I ask them to reflect on their childhood and maybe maybe consider uh, reaching back into time and thinking about what might have served as a as a catalyst for you to pursue geography as a career.
1: Okay, Um, I'll start. However, when I was in my PhD program, okay, that's fine. at the University of Oklahoma. And my major professor was um, B.L. Turner II. Mm -hmm. And one day in a group conversation, probably around lunch, we all used to get together for lunch in a big gathering room. And we talked about childhood experiences and, and geography. And of course, most of us grew up in the 50s and 60s. And well before cars had bucket seats, they all Uh had bench seats in the front. And Billy Turner, after much discussion, said, I'll tell you who the geographer was. He was the kid that during a family vacation sat in the front seat between his parents looking at maps, And everybody in the room kind of looked at each other and said, "Yep, that's pretty much
0: it." Well, 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 the <laughs> other ones are just bored out of their minds or fighting with each other. You're right. Uh, yeah, We're the we ones re- looking at the maps the whole time. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's back when gas stations had maps. So Mm -hmm. if you uh, cross state lines, well, you just ran into the gas station and got a map of whatever state you were in. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was that was my early experiences. And um, so, yeah, that's that's just kind of my youth and geography and um, doing those sorts of things.
0: So, Uh, so there you went. And so you, you, um, you went from childhood to driving in the front seat with your parents, looking at maps to then
1: doing what? Well, this isn't a pretty experience at all, but, um, I spent uh, a year in Vietnam, Mm -hmm. 1967 September of 67 to October of 68 in the Mekong Delta
2: mm-hmm. in the
1: navy in the navy and we were attached to the 9th infantry division and essentially what we did with our boats small boats they were is we took the infantry into places where the jungle was too thick for helicopters to land um uh, a life-changing experience, for sure. Not a pretty one, but a geographical one. Indeed. Because, because my job on the boat it started out as the radio man, and then when our crew got reduced, I was promoted up to coxswain, mm-hmm. meaning I, I drove the boat. And uh, we had plenty of maps of the Delta, and I still have copies of them. And, um, you know, I got a pretty good feel for the lay of the land. Of course, in the Mekong Delta, it's flat. So Absolutely. That, <laughs> that's not a big deal. But lots of canals, not lots of distributaries, lots of uh, meandering stream channels of all widths and so that was that was a big part of uh, my young adulthood.
0: And being a Coxswain on that craft requires you to really engage in an interpretation of the landscape in a much different way than you might now, but you're tasked with examining this certain aspect of military geography, which you wouldn't really have used the phrase at the time, but that's essentially what you were doing, isn't that it? Was,
1: that was it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in large part.
0: And so then, after Vietnam, where'd you go? <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're going to love this. I went to college. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> the GI Bill was paying for everything. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was like a job. And um, the more I went, The more classes I took, I liked it more and more. And um, uh, for probably obvious reasons in the 1960s, I started out as a government major. Mm -hmm. And I was at um, actually I started at Tarrant County Community College um, and then transferred to Texas Christian University
0: Staying in the Fort Worth area, then staying in the Fort
1: Worth area. Mm -hmm. That's where I grew up. That was home. And uh, majored in government. But at TCU, we had to have a minor. And I think a major was 30 hours in one discipline, but the minor was 24 in another. And it was like, well, you know, that's almost like two majors. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what I was going to minor in. But I took a geography course and I liked it. And uh, as I went on, I graduated with a double major in government and geography, thought about law school, came to my senses, went to graduate school. <laughs> <Yeah>. And <clears throat> as my dad was fond of saying, before Bill went to Vietnam, we couldn't keep him in school. After Vietnam, we couldn't keep them out. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, I finally, I finally got out six months ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you retired six months ago, I guess so. Uh, well, so you, you then went to grad school just uh, north of Fort Worth. Then,
1: well, there's there's another step in that whole process because I went up to the University of Missouri for my master's uh-huh. degree and um and then they didn't have a phd program no and 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 so i transferred or went to ou and i Mm -hmm. went to ou largely because when i was at missouri um i took a couple of of uh, archaeology courses Mm -hmm. And uh, could immediately see the connection between archaeology and geography. And so I thought, I'm going to go on for a PhD. That's what I want to do. And um, And so I started looking at programs. But more importantly, I started looking at people whose research was the type of research I wanted to follow. Mm-hmm. And uh, there were a couple of places that I looked at carefully. One of them, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. with uh, studying under uh, Bill Denovan. Sure. Uh, I thought of that. I thought of uh, Texas A&M because I was interested in Mexico and mm-hmm. they had George Carter. Sure. A, one of the early geoarchaeologists and Campbell Pennington, who worked in the Sierra Taro Mar.
0: Absolutely.
1: And Billy Turner. And Billy was the youngest. He had just completed his Ph.D. about two years before.
0: With Donovan?
1: With Donovan, And mm-hmm. he was publishing in science and geographical review in the annals. And I thought, well, here's a young guy. And um, uh, I went to study under him. And and I went to Oklahoma, which is not what you'd call, you know, the bastion of premier institutions in this country. You know, it's not up there with. University of Texas at Austin, but um, I went there in part because there was an archaeologist who had a four year NSF grant working in northern Mexico, and he had written into his grant Three years of funding for a geographer. So, I mean, why did I go to Oklahoma? Just like football players, they Mm -hmm. bought me. Okay. (laughs) I mean, I had the professor I wanted to study under. Three years of funding from uh, NSF through archaeology. And so I showed up in august of 1976 and walked out of there with phd in hand in may of 1979 under three years and that's phenomenal but i'm going to tell you why i tell you why it's phenomenal because all the stars aligned i had the person i wanted to work with i had the full funding for the three years it was like you know i mean what did I do at Oklahoma? They paid me to get a PhD.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and um, yeah. Well, well so all that's... the
0: stars were aligned, but you also must have been mentored in a manner in which there were no roadblocks put in your way.
1: Um, I... no, um, not really, and I. I you know, having gone through the military experience, I was, you know, two mm-hmm. or three years up on every all my peers in college mm-hmm. and uh, I have a, a pretty good sense of observing what's going on and how the system works and how to get around the obstacles, and 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 so that's what I've shared. I mean, my teaching career at the university, uh, 44 years together, And I've given lots of Whoa. advice to students based on my experiences. And I have a couple of pieces of advice, if you don't mind, that I'd like to share. Oh, absolutely, do. <clears throat> and one is when you're an undergrad and you're thinking of going to graduate school do yourself a big favor and don't say, I want to go to the best school, and then apply to Berkeley or Wisconsin or Ohio State. Um, There's another option that I encourage students to think about, and that is to go to universities. And if you're in geography, find geography departments that do not have a PhD program go in as a master's student in a master's program. Mm -hmm. Now, my reasoning on this is quite simple. When an undergraduate finishes their degree and gets accepted and goes to one of the premier institutions in geography like UCLA, you walk in the door with your bachelor's degree firmly in hand. In that same department, there is a student who is about to defend her or his dissertation. I can think of no bigger disparity in academia in terms of intellect and knowledge and wisdom than between an incoming master's student and a graduating PhD student. And the great travesty is they're both called graduate students. Now, when you're in that kind of a situation, which students are going to get the better treatment?
0: Indeed. The PhD students will. The PhD students,
1: they they get it, okay? And it's even hard to get into those programs Because while you're applying to get into a place like UCLA, there are students applying who have degrees, a master's degree from another university. Mm -hmm. And you're competing with them for financial resources and admission spots. So my suggestion is think big, but sort of put it on hold while you do the interim step. Because... You go into a master's program program that doesn't have a PhD. You walk in the door. You're a peer with everybody else,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and you get equal and fair treatment from the faculty, staff, other graduate students. You you have a position of security.
0: That's a, that's pretty solid advice, Bill. It's like playing the long game, really.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you can be thinking about you know, going into a PhD program and take your time in the master's program to go to AAG meetings, go to the regional meetings, meet other students, other faculty from, this, from different universities, and prepare yourself for that move to a PhD program. I don't know how many students I've given that advice to. And as far as I can tell, I'm the only person who's ever given that advice no <laughs> <So>, okay <clears throat> but it works
0: it does so, it does I you know, encourage yeah. students in the similar manner myself. Yeah. Um, yep. but then again it and it also depends on the student. Um, oh. usually though I I am convinced that as you've indicated the disparity between the outgoing Ph.D. student and the incoming master student is so great. It really creates. Um, I'm not going to say disharmony, but such a, a, a wide, a wide chasm, really, in, in among mm-hmm. geography graduate students yeah. many, many times, you know, I, yeah. I, recall, I recall when you were, uh, I mean, going back to Now, the 80s, I recall, (laughs) I recall when you were uh, still untenured at Texas and there was an article in the annals that came out concerning your work in in Mexico. It must have been like 83 or 84, probably 84 uh, concerning concerning uh, irrigation and arid lands in Mm -hmm. Mexico. And here you were still. If I remember correctly, still engaging in that 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 rich scholarship based upon field work that was driven by passion, in many ways, and I think that um, for many, doing geography requires us to pursue our work with a lot of passion. Do you do you see? Such passion as was exhibited, you know, years ago, displayed now in the field.
1: I think so, um, because in my department, um, we've long had a field tradition,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: we have a very strong Latin American component, and we have a very strong African component. Mm-hmm and i think right now one two i think three of my colleagues are in the field in botswana now and that's great and one just came back from the field in mexico um there's another one is is in northwest mexico now and one in Peru, and one heading to Brazil. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have a field tradition in our department.
0: You you certainly do. And I wonder, I wonder if that is a tradition that has been lost by so many graduate programs in our discipline. Probably.
1: Probably. And and I'll say that because for a number of years, you know, I'd go through the guide to departments of geography and just look at the faculty and what they're doing. And the one thing that always set our department apart from every other department, this is this is this is, I'm really proud of this. Mm One hundred percent of our faculty, for at least as long as I can remember so which is at least years. four decades yeah yeah every member of our faculty has ongoing research interest outside the United States
0: my goodness, even Jordan even Jordan was <laughs> doing stuff outside the US when he was, when exactly. He was yeah
1: exactly no we worked in the United States and some in Texas but mm-hmm. you know our attitude was geography's not in here; it's out there. Mm-hmm. So you know we've gone out there, um, uh, and and I hope that continues. Mm-hmm. I know it's continued with our most recent hire, who's going to start in September, um, an Africanist.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I'm pretty sure we're going to get a new position next year. Uh, in uh, geospatial sciences, mm-hmm. and and I hope that person has foreign research interest. Might not, and of course, with you yeah, know, I think a lot of the reason why departments don't have a foreign focus is because they focus too much on the technologies and apply it to the places where we have big data sets and that's the United States.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, So I fear that some of this research is being driven by the technology, not by the intellectual curiosity of, you know.
0: So the tails uh, wagging the dog is what you're saying.
1: No, you said that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in some ways, I'll, I'll that ag- might be I'll the I'll agree character. with it, though. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's it's yeah, unfortunate yeah. because I will say that I bring a number of speakers on on our our, our institution's campus that have spoken for the World Affairs Council and special lectures, as well as through wide audiences, over 100 people in, in, in attendance. And, you know, we had Maria Fadiman, one of your former students, who— yeah. uh, who, who spoke great, great talk. Her her YouTube video is still being viewed. Caroline Faria, one of your colleagues now. Yep. Great talk. It's still being viewed. Um, th- there are just so many that have done foreign area field work that captivate people that really, really infect them with the passion that they have. And I find that it's diff it's more difficult not di- not impossible but it's more difficult to do it without it It doesn't seem to be as uh, noteworthy to the students in many many ways
1: yeah the... um, well these are just challenges that we face this is the challenge of the 21st century so they are yeah yeah well, and it- uh, Yeah. And and, and there will always be people doing field work. uh, I hope. Um, But. um, uh, You know, I think in in some respects. um, People might think it's costly to do foreign field work and um, maybe they're afraid to go to certain places. you know, I've, I've spent 45 years working in in the northwestern Mexican state of Sonora. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, last week they found the body of a, of a biology graduate student at Berkeley alongside the highway. With uh, and he had received multiple gunshot wounds. I mean, you know, I don't know what happened. Um, My wife says, uh, aren't you concerned about going to Sonora? And I go, no, but I'm pretty sure he was caught in the wrong place doing something. Suspicious, Mm -hmm. not wrong, maybe, but somebody thought he was doing something.
0: Well, well, when one is out in the field, one has to be observant, we'll say.
1: Exactly. And you got, it. Yeah, it's it's not like you can go anywhere and do whatever you want. You have to be savvy to things local. So
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And uh and you know it's not it's not costly. My my colleague and good friend Francisco Perez, who retired mm-hmm. four or five years ago, has worked in um, the Andes and he goes way up above the timberline, mm-hmm. way up where there's hardly anything and spends weeks and weeks and he's worked on the high peaks in Hawaii and the high peaks in California. Never had a research grant more than $500. <laughs> okay. Now granted he does a lot of camping out in these places but
0: He's not staying in any five-star resorts, is
1: what you're saying. No, but I mean, he gets enough enough travel money to get a plane ticket somewhere, which, of course, at the time, you know, Mm -hmm. you can go almost anywhere, 500. um, And, you know, maybe cobble together a couple of small grants. Yeah, so it's not necessarily expensive.
0: I, so. I I concur I don't believe it has to be expensive and I encourage yeah. students oftentimes to consider going to the Yucatan if they want <laughs> to enjoy uh, a, a little aspect of conducting field work the plane ticket is not that expensive and it is very inexpensive to get around so yeah you
1: know the score so. Mm-hmm. You've done plenty of field work yourself.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Speaking of field work, let's let's get back to grad school just for a minute. And so did did your advisor ever join you in the field in Mexico? No, he
1: didn't. Um, But but the archaeologist who was on my committee, he was there the whole time. So, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I was working in northwest Mexico and, uh, and and Billy Turner was working in the Yucatan. So when we were in the field, we were (laughs) opposite ends of the republic. Absolutely. uh, Yeah, but we were in constant touch and uh, such as we could stay in touch back then. Well, there are no Uh, cell
0: phones in that in that era. No cell phones, no email.
1: (laughs) That's exactly the. uh, Yeah. Uh, Um, To. To. and I have to tell you this because I started graduate school with two children and finished with three. And this the the last field season, my wife is going to deliver right in the middle of the field, or close to the end of the field season. And so it was quite a dilemma that I had is, you know, you know, going to the field and not being with her when the baby was born or uh, Well, anyway, she was the one that really said, look, this is number three. You got to get the dissertation done. (laughs) And as it turns out, Billy Turner's wife, Linda, was a nursing student and filled in for me as my wife's uh, Lamaze coach. Okay. That's wonderful. So I'm I'm in the outbacks of Eastern Sonora one day and the agent from the local Largo Distancia office brought me an envelope, I opened it and it was a telegram from my mother saying my son had been born, my third son had been born. (laughs) And it it was just like in the old Western movies, okay? It was, you know, he got he got the message over the uh, clicky clicky Morse code. I've seen those, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All throughout northern Mexico. Uh, they might even still be
0: there. <laughs> well, uh, I don't
1: know. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of doubt it, but
0: now, um, now there are a lot of internet cafes now, but, but yeah,
1: but I. Um, <laughs> No, I saved that and I had it framed with the envelope and gave it to my son on his fortieth birthday. So Yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. But a great I mean, story. that was that was what it was like then. Okay,
0: mm-hmm. you know, you
1: you wanted to to contact the outside world, you go over to Largo Distancia, write out the message, and you know the agent click 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 send it out. Yeah, no, so, it was like going back to the nineteenth century. Really? Yeah. So, Which, by the way, you mentioned Terry Jordan,
0: and I yeah. just thought of him
1: when uh, <laughs> he once said one time he'd gladly go back to the 19th century if all he could take with him was indoor plumbing and modern medicine, and he wasn't sure about modern medicine. <laughs> I think I think
0: Fred Niffen said that as well. <laughs>
1: he might have. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, you know, their 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 interests certainly did overlap. I'm sure yeah. they had conversations. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think John Reeder once told me that they had extended conversations those two. But it's yeah. interesting, you know. Yeah. And and when when you were uh, on the faculty with Jordan, could you make any comments about him as a, as a colleague?
1: He was a great guy and a good friend. Uh I was in the field with him a number of times. <clears throat> and he was an astute observer of the landscape uh an all-around good guy and um the uh well you know we were probably such good friends because we were interested in many of the same things but i grew up in fort worth and he grew up in dallas Mm -hmm. okay so we were constantly sparring with each other over the typical Dallas <laughs> Fort Worth jokes and um, the uh, things like he, in one of his books he 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 wrote <clears throat> that he grew up in the shadow of the Cross Timbers. Okay, as soon as that came out, I was in his office and I you know, "Hey Terry, I grew up in the Cross Timbers." Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, so we, we had a good thing in that regard and Billy Turner and I always had a very good relationship. We're still good friends and I think I part of that is because he grew up in Texas in Austin
2: mm-hmm.
1: and uh and, and so you know us Texas boys just kind of you know we understand each other a-
0: and, apparently uh, so
1: yeah yeah and uh yeah so we we know you know, how to pull each other's chains and uh, uh, rag on each other and get along. And, yeah, so, no, but Terry and Terry was a great colleague and a really good friend. And, um, of course, he died of pancreatic yes. cancer
2: mm-hmm. Sadly. almost 20
1: years ago. And um, I was teaching our intro seminar for graduate students. Mm-hmm. And I asked Terry, I said, would you come speak to the class? And his response was, well, if I'm still alive. Um, but he did come and speak to the class and he. he, he um, talked for about an hour and a half. Uh, the title was my kind of geography. Mm-hmm. I think you can find that on YouTube. Um, and he died the next week.
0: You so know, his uh, he was his, he
1: was contributing right up to the end. His yeah. premature
0: passing was was really a very sad and tragic loss for our discipline. He was uh, truly a, a, a great scholar, had had the Prescott Web Chair in History and yep. Ideas and had really um, done so much for our discipline. And I think he did a lot to generate for our discipline, a lot of respect among other fields in the social sciences.
1: And he was he was very clear that his agenda was always on research and publishing and and, of course, teaching, being a good teacher. Um, But when he was elected to the presidency Mm -hmm. of the AAG, um, he wrote his monthly columns. Some of them were met with um, enthusiasm, and some of them were sharply criticized. Mm -hmm. And one thing I always admired about Terry, and this is back before email, every letter that he received, whether it was favorable or unfavorable, he replied to it. And um, uh, he just didn't, you know, read them and stack them up and whatever. He replied personally to every one of them. And mm-hmm. uh, as he went further on, some of his letters got shorter and shorter and more pointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he responded, and um, uh, I, I, I doubt that any president since then's done that or before.
0: I, I couldn't say, but I could, I could share the same doubt that it would just be so difficult. But then again, yeah. there's email that could be done immediately too. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that being said, I recall when he delivered his presidential address, I was sitting or no, I was standing in the back with Kent Mathewson with his suitcase of beer that we were sharing, you know, <laughs> not suitcase, pardon me, briefcase of beer. And, yeah. and, um, and there was a, a graduate student in history from uh, Santa Barbara that was with us. And she approached Terry after, after his talk and she asked him for a copy of it and he was very gracious and he said yes he would send it to her and she she gave him her address and he promised to send this to to a graduate student you know he was that kind of guy
1: yeah helpful yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. and uh, and by the way that uh, briefcase that Kent had <laughs> full of beer i'm sure it was worn old and probably from some brewery that we've never heard of.
0: It very well could. It could have been PBR. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was Dixie beer. I don't know. But you were right. It was warm, but it was there, and Kent had it, so you had to drink it.
1: yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> there you go, you know.
1: So can you comment? Oh, let's, let's don't get off on Kent stories. <laughs> <laughs> can you
0: can, can can you comment on any of your students that you've uh, found inspiring to you, or or that that you learned from as well? Either in the field oh, or oh elsewhere? gosh, I,
1: I learned from all of them one way or another. <clears throat> I mean, it's they're a brilliant bunch, uh, and they didn't get it from me. Um, no, they're just they're a wonderful group. Um, my 19th Ph.D. is finishing up now and um, uh, should be done here in a couple of months. And no, not a couple of weeks. And I'm still her advisor. I get that privilege. Um, mm-hmm. The. Um, they all worked outside the U.S., um, and, and, a lot of different places, um, all of them came back with some fascinating, fascinating findings. And, um, uh, many of them have gone on to, uh, uh, very good careers in academia and outside of academia. Um, uh, you know, you already mentioned Maria Fatiman. Sure. I mean, yeah, the. Uh, uh, she worked on um, uh, ethnobotany and um, in in the western part of Ecuador. Um, I visited her in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of my students I visited in the field uh, when I could and um, yeah. And with Maria, that was about 20 years ago and I flew into Quito and then we got on a bus and took the bus to the end of the pavement. And then met up with a guy with a four wheel drive vehicle and took us to where four wheel drive vehicles couldn't go any further. And we were supposed to meet up with the Wrangler with horses. And he didn't meet us on time. So Maria and I left our bags and we walked the next 11 miles. She had figured that on maps um, through the muddiest terrain you could ever imagine to where we got to her outpost where she was working. And we no sooner get there and the Wrangler shows up two horses in our suitcases. <laughs> and uh uh and then we were we were there i guess for about a week and um and when we left the wrangler was there with the horses and we rode out and um it was only when we got back to quito that i showed her my feet I had blisters that just literally took the soles off my feet from walking every day. Um, and and uh, I remember her asking me, she said, why did you do this? And I said, because I can't. And I should. And I said, and the day's coming when I won't be able to do it. So I'm doing it. And, and that's just the way it is. Yeah, that's just just yeah. Okay, my got bleeding feet. Well, hello, <laughs> the, uh, yeah. Keep walking. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I went and saw Joby Bass in mm-hmm. Honduras mm-hmm. and um, the. Uh, Andrew Sluter was one of my early PhDs. Mm -hmm. He's on the faculty at LSU and uh, went down to Veracruz with him and others. And we took cores from the back swamps behind the uh, dunes along the coast. And one uh, of his
0: students was uh, honorable mention for the Meridian Award. So you have a exactly you have a, uh, an academic grandchild Watkins yeah, that yeah, has done yeah. very yeah, good work Watkins. in in, uh, yeah. in Latin America.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, God, that goes way back. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, more recently, Matt Fry, who's now uh, has a position in geography at uh, University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and his wife, Alexandra Ponet, she got her PhD from the Yale School of Forestry. But I directed her master's thesis. Mm. I tried keeping her in our program, and I was trying to lure her to stay with a teaching assistantship. I was chair at the time, and Yale offered her two hundred fifty thousand dollars over five years to go to Yale. And That's.
0: I don't think UT as good as UT can get some money, which they you, you can get it. That's the that's a tough one to get. Two fifty k for five years. Holy two, cannoli. Two,
1: two fifty. <laughs> let's see. Where's my hand? Two fifty. TA ship. 250, 250
0: <laughs> two two fifty, and really good pizza too. You know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I lost that one, uh, but we're still really good friends. Good. And, uh, uh, and then Matt Lefever uh, mm-hmm. was one of mine. Worked in in uh, stills, working in Tlaxcala and uh, doing work in Cuba as well. And he just got tenure at the University of Alabama. So that's um, great. The, uh, there was one year, it was 1995, I had I, my Ph.D. students landed jobs at Penn State, Oklahoma State, University of Arizona, and LSU. That's great. I'll put that up against anybody anytime well you thought should it, I of course i I thought at the time well I'm gonna do this every year well it didn't happen again, no, but but, uh,
0: but it's 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 a wonderful it's a wonderful record and you do have a, a a aside from your scholarship and your teaching you have a great record as a mentor and I'm gonna ask you to as as we close in about a minute to think, of any other advice you might give to colleagues or students aside from what you gave before to, for those who, who who should consider master's programs, which I agree. Um, is, are there any, any words, any pearls of wisdom, any do that you'd like to share?
1: Okay. Yeah. I've got, I've got a couple. Okay. When you write a paper, Write it as though you're going to submit it to a journal. Take a paper that you like a lot, wherever it was published, and write your paper in that very same format. Mm -hmm. Um, And then submit it for publication. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? They're going to turn it down? Well, then you just submit it somewhere else a long time ago, Jim Parsons, the esteemed James J. Parsons. Your grandfather. Yeah, told me. No, great-grandfather. Great-grandfather.
0: (laughs) Great-grandfather. Nice guy, very kind man.
1: Oh, gosh, he was the best. And uh, I can tell you stories about that, but not now. Um, (laughs) He told me one time, he said, you get an article turned down, turn around and send it somewhere else. He said, don't leave it on your desk, leave it on an editor's desk. (laughs) How brilliant is that,
0: right? No, it's (laughs) it's great. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. The other thing I suggest in terms of publishing is shoot for the top. You go to the big journals, they're going to send it out to big scholars who are going to know what the big picture story is And they're going to make a recommendation based on that. If you go to a small journal, a regional journal, they're going to send it out to not the oldest and best of the scholars, but the younger ones Mm -hmm. who are going to take it as their responsibility to find fault with every little thing. So aim high. Um, That's
0: that's really profound.
1: And it's counterintuitive because you Mm -hmm. think, you know, well I'll go start small and build up, but it's like, you're going to get shot down at the bottom. Almost, yeah. and mm-hmm. There's just two levels of scholars that are sure. going to review these. And, well, there's and that March, level
0: of insecurity that some academics exactly. have.
1: Yeah, yeah, but not the senior guys. No. Not not the ones that have been around 20, 30 years. They're going to sit there and they go, okay, I, I, I know what's going on here. I got the drip.
0: Absolutely. Okay? It's
1: the younger scholars who don't have that element of aging yeah like a fine wine okay <laughs> that that can't see the forest for the trees mm-hmm. where it, yeah uh, so that's that's one thing and and the other one that I have deals with your thesis or dissertation. and that is when you start to write, Get the template. All graduate schools now have an online template for putting your dissertation Mm -hmm. in. Right, Put it in that template right from the beginning. And start with an outline, which you can look at as a table of contents. And make it detailed with three or four subheadings And when you write, don't write a dissertation. Write the first subheading of the chapter. When you get that done, write whatever you're going to put under the second one. So instead of looking at this thing as a big thing that you need to do, you lay it out in in the form of outline or a table of contents. Address one item at a time. And it's very manageable. And, you know, if you do that and you think about it, if you wrote a page a day, you could write 365 pages in a year.
0: That's what I say.
1: And, you know, most dissertations are like 200, 250 pages, you know? No reason why you can't. Come back from the field in August, start writing in September, and have the entire thing done in time to graduate in May.
0: Absolutely.
1: And if you do it one chunk at a time. And the way I did it, and I continue to do it, and I encourage all my students, make a calendar. Started at September 1st, ended at June 1st. How many chapters are you going to have in your thesis or dissertation, divide the number of days by that number of chapters, then go into your calendar and go, okay, September 1st to September 23rd, Chapter 1. September 24th to October 22nd, Chapter 2, okay? Or start with Chapter 2 and write the first chapter last. I don't care. But if you do it that way, you have a specific target to shoot for and you're dealing with one small component of what's going to be the final product.
0: Absolutely, you know that That's my advice. That it's, structure and approaching this problem is very important because it's a problem. Right. It's a it's a situation that that one must address, and it's a mission that one must accomplish. Mm-hmm. And that and that's a feasible manner in which to set it out.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well. So that was that's my advice on how to do it. Do Will bill. Bill,
0: Bill, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat for this conversation with the Geographer episode. We're going to be signing off in just a second here. And I just want to say once again, thank you for joining us. And thank you so much for all you've done for geography.
1: Well, you're very welcome. And thank you for having me. All
0: right. Well, this concludes this episode of conversation with a geographer. Thank you.